Good morning, Ebenezer family. My name is Will, and I get the honor and the privilege to bring the word today. So for those who may not know who I am, if you're newer here, I serve on the pastoral team here at Ebenezer in the capacity as the junior and senior youth pastor, and I absolutely do what I love. I love our youth, and it's an honor to serve them, and God has done some amazing things this year at Ebenezer Youth. Here's a fun couple pictures of what we did. We went to Youth Quig, there's a retreat, there's our sore, we take a nice little selfie there, and there's our late-nighter. And then at the end of the night, typically our leaders put their name tags on me, so it's so much fun. And like, like Santa, Pastor Santosh just said, I was at Ranger Lake Bible Camp last week, and it's intense. Like, I spoke, you speak seven times every day, and on Friday, by the time my voice was shot, I was like, <laughs> so it was, it was bad, but I mean, my voice is back, so it's good. But um, God is not only on the move at Ebenezer Youth, but at Ebenezer as a whole, and it's amazing to play such a small, but I guess fun role in it. So today I get to continue us in our series in the Kingdom Parables, and I specifically get to key in on the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl, which we find in Matthew's account of the gospel in chapter 13. But before we begin that, why don't you just let me pray to reorientate my heart as we get going. So let's pray briefly. Father, we pray that you would just come into this place. God, I pray that as I speak, that you would make me less so that you could become great, that your name could be magnified and glorified. And I ask, God, that as we listen to what is to be said, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand the ways in which you are working today. So we pray this in your name. Amen. In Jesus' ministry on earth, it is recorded that Jesus of Nazareth begins his ministry by saying simply this, recorded in Matthew 4, 17. For the kingdom of heaven is near, says Jesus. And as Pastor Cal a couple weeks ago at the beginning of our series set us up, we're looking at kingdom parables that specifically key in on the kingdom of heaven. And we define the kingdom of heaven slash God, and we're going to use kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God interchangeably, but we define the kingdom of heaven like this. The kingdom of heaven, of God, is the place where Jesus reigns and rules. And as I said today, we are looking at the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. But in order to understand the context in which we need to find, we need to set this up for this specific parable. And it begins in Matthew 12, verse 38 to 39, where Jesus defends his authority against the Pharisees. Matthew 12, verse 38 to 39 says it this way. One day, some teachers and some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. So we see this launches us into a series of Jesus telling parables, where in Matthew 13, we will see a, par a series of seven parables. And it begins in Matthew 13, verse 1 to 3, and Jesus speaks on a boat to every, some people, and he says this. Later that same day, Matthew 13 says, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught 
as the people stood on the shore, he told many stories in the form of parables. So we see that Jesus launches into a series of sharing parables to a large crowd. And then, after telling these parables, Jesus then leaves the crowds and then gets into a house with the 12 disciples. And it's recorded like this. Then, Matthew 13, 36 says, leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. So it is important to understand the specific context that what undergirds what we're going to be focusing our attention onto today. What we learn is that in these parables that we're going to read right now, they were originally taught to the 12 disciples, and that's important. Parables themselves, we see, are hidden, they're complex, and we need to seek to understand. So this sets the stage for what we're going to look into today. So if you brought your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. And as we read, let us come into this passage with curiosity and eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand what God may be revealing to us today. So Matthew 13, 44 to 46, Jesus says this. It'll be behind us on the screen as well. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. And as we just read, this passage raises a number of questions, such as, why didn't anyone else find the treasure? There must have been other workers on that field, right? Why did this guy not buy, why did he buy the field? Why didn't he just take the treasure and go? Why would he wait to purchase the land? Why didn't anyone notice the pearl? Was this the only merchant that saw this pearl? Wouldn't have there been other merchants? And what does this have to do with following Jesus? You see, Jesus did not tell parables to make everything clear and known, but for us to dig in and discover. So let us work line by line to uncover the meaning of what Jesus is really getting at. Sorry, at verse 44, as the word says this. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So we see this man who founds, finds hidden treasure buried in a field. And at first glance, when we have our 21st century lens on, we might be like, man, a random guy found treasure? That is great news. And if we look a bit deeper, though, this man was most likely a worker on a field, and so he was a farmhand. And there were likely many other hands on the field as well in that same day. So why, slash how, did this man discover the treasure hidden in the field? Was he lucky? Did he see something no one else saw? And I want you to begin to think about how this could be as we continue to look, as it's really important of what this parable might be pointing us towards. But nonetheless, this man discovers treasure. And in Jewish law, when you found something, you kept it, finders keepers. But in the first century, in Matthew's account of the gospel, we see that the Jewish people were under Roman rule, and the Romans were strict with property on who owned what. So in fact, in the literary context of this passage, this man likely bought this field to secure that the treasure would be in fact for him. R.T. France, 
one of the leading scholars in the Gospel of Matthew words it this way. In this story, the current owner of the field to whom the treasure would legally belong was unaware of it. Perhaps it had belonged to a previous owner, now dead. The finder, presumably a worker employed by the landowner, therefore hides the treasure again until he has legal ownership of the field so that the treasure becomes his. In coming, a cross-buried treasure was not something random either. In first century, there was not banks in the same way we have banks now. So in first century, people would bury their accumulated goods into a field, and that's how they stored their money. You didn't just deposit your money to RBC, the credit union, or whoever you bank with. And many times, these people would pass away, and treasure, like the money that they buried, would just be there for whoever found it. The way that this man felt when he found that treasure, though, would be the equivalent to how you felt if you bought, won the lottery, bought the lottery, won the lottery. So, with some groundwork done on some original context there, let's move on to verse 45 to 46, as the word says this. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. So we see there's this merchant here, and he's on the lookout for pearls. And a merchant is simply someone who trades in goods produced by other people. So again, we see in the last parable, just like in the last parable, that there's a specific merchant who happens to stumble upon a pearl of great value. And who is it? Why did the other merchants miss this? What makes this specific merchant so special? And I want you to again start thinking about why is this the merchant who found the pearl in the same way why is this the worker who found the treasure. But in context of what was going on with the pearl, when one found a great pearl of great value, it was incomprehensible. For instance, the Egyptian queen Cleopatra in BC 51, approximately 100 years before the Gospel of Matthew was written, had two pearls that were worth approximately $28.5 million in current Canadian currency. That's a lot of money. So pearls had great monetary value. And when this merchant discovered a pearl with great value, well, it was great value. Enough for one to give up everything to obtain the pearl. Michael Green, a scholar of the New Testament, comments on it this way. A pearl fancier by profession he knew perfection when he saw it, and he never had seen it until he discovered this pearl. There are other pearls on the market. There are other things of great value, but none is to compare with the pearl of great value. So we see that there's a pearl with great exceptional value, but what does it mean? Both the pearl's value and the treasure's value. We see that as these parables are coming alive, it points us to something we simply cannot miss, and that is the kingdom of heaven. And as we said, the way that we're defining the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is the place where Jesus reigns and rules. And as Jesus says in the beginning of both parables, he starts with, the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. But what exactly makes these parables like the kingdom of heaven? the place where Jesus reigns and rules. And you see, in these parables, we see that there is a worker and a merchant, and these people represent people who see value. And the other people are people who did not see value. The people who saw the value, the ones who found the treasure and the ones who found the pearl, were the ones who gave up everything to pursue the treasure and the pearl. 
And what the treasure and pearl represent is the kingdom of heaven. And these men are operating from a specific worldview, as we today are operating from a specific worldview. And our behavior, the way that we act, is based on the values by which our worldview is coming from. And each person in the story decides one of two things, to pursue the treasure or to not pursue the treasure, to pursue the pearl or to not pursue the pearl. But why? And I believe it's because we all have fundamental human needs. We all act on behavior, and what we value represents our worldview. Dr. Kara Powell from Fuller Seminary, who's a research expert among people in development, especially faith development, proposes in her book the three big questions that humans have three fundamental needs. Identity, purpose, and belonging. And identities being, who am I? Purpose being, what difference can I make? And belonging being, where do I fit in? And you see, we're all living in some sort of kingdom. And which kingdom we live in comes down to one thing. And I want to propose to you, it's where you put your value in. For instance, in an earthly kingdom, we put our value in the following things. Money, material gains, toys, cars, etc., work, relationships, and more. And it will not take you long to notice that in our society today, we live in an earthly kingdom, not the kingdom of heaven. And you know our society is trying to build up to be something. We live in a sociological condition called social progressivism, which merely means that we believe our society is always advancing and advancing and advancing. But is this really the case? If you look at history, it does not take you long to ask yourself, why do societies burn and crash over, crash and burn over and over again? Our answers to our needs of identity, purpose, and belonging can often be in things that just don't last forever. And in this story, the people who also worked the fields, they didn't get the treasure. The other merchants, they didn't find the pearl. And they likely saw it. They just probably didn't see the value in it. But the worker and the merchant who did find the treasure and who did find the pearl, they realized that the kingdom of heaven was very important. When putting their identity, their purpose, and their belonging, basic fundamental needs grounded in the person of Jesus, then they found the best way to live. They saw value in the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus is king and he reigns and rules, and one is a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, one is now entered in, ushered into the kingdom of heaven today. But when we answer these three things, identity, purpose, belonging, we learn that our honest answer to who am I, what difference can I make, or where do I belong, they will ultimately reveal what we value. And in this story, the worker and the merchant saw that they put a value in the treasure and the pearl. And they saw that their identity, their purpose, their belonging was in the kingdom of heaven, and they went all in for it. All their value was put into it. This reveals in the story that there is people, when these people put all on the line they had for the kingdom, the place where Jesus reigns and rules, they found life and they found it to the full. They inherited the kingdom of heaven and they sought to live the best life, the life that Jesus can offer them. And I'm not talking about once these people died, they would go to heaven. 
but I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven coming down onto this earth right now. Jesus himself says this when he teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, 11. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or a few lines later, Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. You see, these workers saw the value in the kingdom of heaven and joyfully and willingly gave up everything for it. But what are you willing to give up for the kingdom? Are you willing to submit yourself to the kingdom where Jesus reigns and rules? Where is your value? How do you answer questions of fundamental needs you have, such as identity, purpose, and belonging? Are your answers, when you're being honest with yourself, rooted in the things that the world offers you, or are they rooted in the things of God? In Canadian, secular society today, we're trying to build a kingdom, but we're trying to build it without the king, and the king being Jesus. But the problem with that is, like I said, the things of this earth will inevitably pass away. So if Jesus tells us to seek his kingdom first, are we seeking his kingdom first? Are our values grounded in the eternal love and truth that God offers us? The Apostle Paul speaks brilliantly to this in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 8. And in context, Paul is chained up in prison and has lost a lot of what he has. And he says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. To you, is everything else garbage? Because in this parable, the infinite value of the way of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven is timeless. It's infinite. But with this laid down, I have three things for us this week that I believe this passage is revealing to us. The first is simply, where is your value? Just as the Apostle Paul says, what is valuable to you? Is the kingdom most valuable, or is it something of this world? Where do you find your fundamental needs, such as identity, purpose, and belonging? Number two, drive out complacency. When we hear these parables, we can think sometimes, we know this, and we can become complacent, which in other words means self-satisfied, comfortable, not willing, and you need to drive out complacency if you are complacent with your walk with God. God calls us to put all value in Him, that our answers would be rooted in identity, purpose, and belonging into the person of Jesus Himself. That everything else does not matter because we have God. Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan pastor from the 1600s, has a quote that stuck with me for a long time that I think is applicable to all of us. He says this, A soul that is capable of God can be filled with nothing else but God. Nothing else but God can fill a soul that is capable of God. And when we are complacent with God, it often shows that we have not laid down everything for Him. And maybe you don't want to. 
But if God is the one who made us, and he is the one who sustains us, and he is the ruler of the universe, he deserves nothing less than everything. He deserves to rule and reign because he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who created us and the one who sustains us. Number three, the two greats. In the parable of the buried treasure and pearl, we see that these people laid down their lives and sell everything for the kingdom of heaven. And it's a beautiful story, it's a joyful submission to Jesus. And for us today, our call is also to joyfully lay down everything for the kingdom of heaven. And this is best revealed in Matthew in the two greats, the great commandments and the great commission. The first is the great commandment, which comes after when Jesus is asked what the most important commandment is. And Jesus responds in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Jesus says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And we see in the Greek, in the original language the New Testament was written in, four different words to describe the word love. And the greatest of these four was a word called agape. And agape love is best described as someone laying down their life for another person, like taking a bullet for someone. And our call is to love God in the agape context and to equally love our neighbor. And our neighbor isn't necessarily like our next-door neighbor, but anyone who God puts in front of you at any given moment, which could be our next-door neighbor at points. So our call is this, to love God deeply, to love others deeply, and we will start to move ourselves to the kingdom of heaven. But the second piece of this is found in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus' last words as he says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Every follower of Jesus is called to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And the way that we define discipleship at Ebenezer is like so. A disciple is someone who takes on the character, ways, and mission of Jesus and helps others to do the same. And Jesus' commission for all followers of Jesus, all disciples, is to simply go and make more disciples to help others do the same in their followership to him. And when we move towards loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations, we then get to move closer to the kingdom of heaven, which is here and now, but not yet. In the parable of the buried treasure and pearls, we find people who sought to take the call of discipleship on. And it came down to them having a willing heart to pursue the kingdom of heaven. N.T. Wright words it this way. The gospel of the kingdom isn't a pleasant religious idea that you might like to explore sometime when you've got an hour or two to spare. It isn't like an attractive object in a museum that you might look and admire, at, admiredly 
and the next time you're in the district. It's like a fabulous hoard of treasure, yours for the taking. If you sell everything else to buy the field where it's hidden, it's the biggest, finest, purest pearl that a jeweler ever imagined, and it's yours for the taking if you'll sell everything else, including all other pearls you've ever owned in order to purchase it. I'm gonna call up the worship team. Today, we have the same call, to seek and to pursue the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is so good that it makes us want to give up everything to pursue it. Do you find yourself in the boat where the kingdom of heaven is what you value, the motive behind where you put your identity, purpose, and belonging in, where your allegiances lie? Maybe yes, maybe no. Or maybe you're here, and this is new to you, and you're wondering, how do I pursue the kingdom of heaven? What is my first step to following the way of Jesus? And I want to share a quote that has shaped the way that I see my life by Tim Keller. A pastor and theologian has deeply impacted my thinking today. Keller says this, The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. Your first step to pursuing the kingdom of heaven is through salvation, to begin a relationship with God, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and to accept him in your life. Romans 10, 9, 10 declares it this way. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And if you're at a place where you want to make that step to pursuing the kingdom of heaven, I encourage you to come find a leader at the front, and we would love to dialogue and pray with you on what that would look like. But if the kingdom of heaven is real, which it is, it's not only good, but it's true. And God's ways are best. And we are called to put all value in him as the word of God reveals to us today. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And I pray right now that we would put our value in you that we would seek first your kingdom and that we would pursue the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, I pray that as I've spoken today, that the words that you wanted to have said here, I pray that they would come alive in our lives. And the words that were not of you, I pray that you would just disregard them. But Holy Spirit, come into this place and allow us to seek your kingdom in a new way that we've never experienced before. Because you are good, Jesus. And we thank you that you reign and rule. So we pray this in your name. Amen.